All right, I'm Bonnie with the Chief Digital and AI Office, joined by Captain Sean Cooper with the 18th Airborne Corps, right? Yeah, how's it going? Good, not too bad. Thanks for joining me. Uh, what group in the 18th Airborne Corps are you with? Yeah, so we have a new cell on our core staff called the Data Activities. And uh, there's a wide portfolio that we do, everything from soldier software development, have a couple applications that we're working on. Uh, and then we have an innovation portfolio as well, which I'm in charge of the in a ground up innovation portfolio. Then we have a cloud and data portfolio as well. Is this within the data worker company? So or separate? We don't call it the data worker company anymore. Well, I'm already OBE on yeah. the terms, okay. So, um, but you... yeah, so initially it was a separate company. Um, what we're doing is the entire intent behind the company uh, and the reason it was stood up was to upskill the core staff so that we can operate in an air, you know, a data AI enabled all those buzzwords environment. And what we've found is that having you know a separate organization doesn't necessarily accomplish that. So we're figuring out how to take those skill sets and integrate them into the core staff to really meet that end state. Mm. So somebody described you in a very unique and particular way, and I kind of want to get your reaction to it. They said, Sean is the apex nerd. <laughs> the apex nerd. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, no, I, that's, that could be a, a, a good way of doing it. It depends on what you want to qualify apex as, like <laughs> the one who herds them all or the one who... You know, well, we peak. were just talking about neural networks and Magic the Gathering, so... Yeah, no, that, that definitely qualifies. I'll, I'll own that one. Is that a real thing? Yeah, um, so I finished, uh, I was kind of bored, so I did a master's degree in applied and computational mathematics, and one of my projects in that, I uh, wrote a neural network from scratch to pick cards in the game Magic the Gathering and mimic human behavior. So do you get to play, like, could you play with it? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it was, I didn't work too much on, like, the user interface or anything, but essentially you could, like, show it the cards that you had, and yeah. it would tell you which one was the best one to pick for a certain situation. Did you actually win using so the tool? I, I haven't uh, played, like, against other people with it, but um, at the time uh, that I did it, this was probably in late 21, early 22, uh, the best machine learning algorithms out on the net um, were getting about a 40 to 50% uh, accuracy rate compared to human picks. And then mine with a somewhat limited data set was able to get up to 60% uh, ah, accuracy. So okay, still a little ways to go, but it was okay. cool to see, you know, with just a little bit of data, what you could do. So how are you translating some, I would call that a little innovation on your part. How are you translating some of that to the 18th Airborne Corps? Yeah, so the reason I got picked up for the whole innovation cell in the first place was, um, I think, largely due to my background in that. And uh, what I've found and what I've, has been really exciting about this position has been, like, I'm, I might be called the apex nerd, but there's a lot of really good nerds out there yeah. in the operational force. And uh, a lot of times we don't give them the tools or the uh, publicity or the resources to succeed. Um, so having done a little bit of myself, uh, a little bit of it myself, I think that I'm well placed to identify those people and mm -hmm. you know empower them. Um, just some quick examples. Uh, so as part of the innovation portfolio, we run the Dragon's Layer competition, which is kind of a Shark Tank style innovation competition that we do once or twice a year. We had a soldier from the 25th Infantry Division. He was a pilot. 
and he wanted to get flight feedback uh, from his from his training flights. Go back and look at it in 3D, see how he did. So he asked uh, the army, "Hey, can I, you know, plug in and get the data off of the flight computers?" And they're like, "Absolutely not, no way." So he's like, "Okay," and he went and programmed a computer vision uh, algorithm that you, they could put in the aircraft, and it would look at the flight instruments and just take the mm. data from the flight instruments, and he could take that and go back and recreate its flight himself. So all on his own. To make him a better pilot, right? To make him a better pilot. Yeah. And he was one of the winners for our Dragon Slayer competition. And that's just one of you know dozens of examples from artificial intelligence work up through materials and policy recommendations that we get from across the core. So I, I talked to Bill Wilder last week about Dragon's Lair and understanding the mechanics of how it works and because uh, bottoms-up innovation is hard, I think, in the Department of Defense in particular uh, because um, there's so many layers and like having that connective tissue that if you have the pilot, like you're describing in your scenario, the pilot on the ground, um, he has an idea. How do you get it up to the other divisions of labor across the department that can maybe give them the resources and tools that you're talking about? So how either in that scenario or how is like your group working to build that connective tissue? So when we first started off the program, um, it really was looking at, you know, how can soldiers solve problems at their level, uh, whether that's through additive manufacturing, software programming, um, even things like tailoring to fix their bags and their backpacks and so on and so forth. And we quickly realized that uh, there weren't that many mechanisms out there to scale that. Uh, luckily, there's a lot of good examples across the DOD, like AFWorks has their spark cells as well. And we did a lot of learning from the Air Force very early on on how to pair ground-up innovation with top-down uh, modernization is how we'll kind of make that distinction. So over the last few years, we've really uh, matured that process. And what we do is uh, initially the competitions where you would have an idea, you'd go pitch your idea, and then we'd try to figure out how to scale it or how to get it integrated with our development partners across DOD or academia. And now we've sort of flipped that on its head and we identify semi-finalists months in advance and then we start reaching out to our partners at the program executive offices, um, at the capability development centers, so on and so forth. And we're like, hey, is this in your portfolio? Is this something you can provide feedback on? And especially for the development centers, is this something you'd be willing to work on prototyping and maturing the prototype that this soldier has? Uh, a lot of that's been done through a very robust agreement with Army Research Labs, which mm -hmm. is called the Pathfinder Program. Uh, and they provide almost all the prototyping materials for the soldiers at the at the maker spaces that we run. Uh, once they've gone through that month, three month long process of development and working with their partner, when they come to pitch, so they should be able to look at the three stars and four stars that we bring to the competition and say, you know, this is the problem we try to solve. Here's what we've done, and these are the next steps. I'm already working with the armament center, or I'm already working with this program executive office. Uh, all we need is a letter of support from you and $10,000 in three months. Have you, what's your favorite success story, maybe, doing, so, doing what you just described? So uh, very recently um, for Dragon's Lair 6 or 7, we had an uh, airman actually submit an idea. It was for a cooling vest that would go under your plate carrier, but it would also integrate with your water system as well, so it would keep your body cool and your water source. 
because he won Dragon's Lair, the Air Force uh, helped him with an entrepreneurship off-ramp program for the idea. And the company that he was able to tech transfer his IP to was awarded a SIBR, Direct-to-Phase II SIBR, that was funded uh, in part by the Air Force and in part by Army Research Labs. And then they additionally got matching funding from their state that they're in, which is the state of Kentucky, uh, for a grand total of $300,000 to continue to prototype the idea. So that was one of the biggest monetary wins um, that we've seen as well. uh, That's a great transition story, right, with the the tech transfer. And they're actually out there uh, doing testing in CENTCOM right now. Wow. What, What would you like to see from people like me, like, so I'm in the acquisition community. I'm also at the OSD level. Um, what do you want to see from all these other groups uh, or divisions of labor across the department to better support what you're doing? So the biggest thing that we need from uh, the Army side is those uh, more robust pipelines for taking ground-up feedback. If there's a company out there that's selling something, uh, there's a million different ways that you could contract with them today to uh, you know, get their piece of equipment, whether it's in a prototype fashion or anything like that. Um, and a lot of times that soldiers come up with something, it gets looked at as just tinkering. But what mm-hmm. it actually is, it's a, a very real demand signal of what the end user actually needs because most of these soldiers are very passionate about their training. And uh, the people who are out there innovating are the ones who really want to be the best at their job. Right. So when they're bringing a problem up to uh, a higher echelon to say, hey, this is really something I'm, I'm trying to solve, that's usually a very good indicator that that's an unaddressed gap or need right. by that unit. Um, that makes and, a lot of sense. Yeah, there's a million different ways to support, uh, whether it's just through training, whether it's through actually adopting something, depending on where you're at at OSD or in acquisitions or anything like that. But the most important thing is just recognizing that that ground up feedback represents a very real like uh, gap and pain point. Yeah. So from your perspective, um, where my mind goes is like, where, where is that pain point? How is that being embedded or incorporated into the requirement? So like we're very, our traditional acquisition system is requirements driven so where, and because of what you're saying here, I'm wondering if there's a disconnect. So from your perspective, what are you seeing? Like, are those, what what is that process or conduit look like to get those pain points to an actual requirement? Or is there, we lack one. So in the Army, we have the Capabilities Development Integration Directorates, CDIDs, and they're all based off of the various functional areas that we have, engineering, maneuver, maneuver support, Um, And that's where our requirements in the operational force really get solidified. Um, And we've really started to make great inroads with uh, relationships with those CDIDs. In fact, we had a briefing to all of the CDID directors in uh, July, so earlier this month or last month. Um, A great success story there is between demonstrations that soldiers from 18th Airborne Corps were able to give with first-person view drones, as well as soldiers in special operations. The maneuver seated was able to get an appendix to a joint capabilities development document to incorporate FPV drones, which had previously not been in there. And that whole process from when those soldiers got to the requirements writer to when that got put in was like two or three months 
which is pretty light speed for uh, that ground up requirement getting integrated. One of the big things that we want our program to do though is also support continual development while that requirement is in either a draft phase or getting reviewed or anything like that. So we've got that first ever valley of death from when a requirement is handed over to a writer uh, to when it actually gets approved or anything like yeah. that. Yeah. And a lot can change, especially with the barrier to innovation being so as low as it is today. Um, they're out there in Ukraine printing, you know, thousands of drones out of a single makerspace. And a lot of times we're thinking, you know, how can we incorporate one or two into our formations? So, and that change is just happening, you know, over the past few months. What I would like to see a little bit more of, um, I can totally understand, appreciate what you just laid out in terms of, you know, how we uh, traditionally define, identify, and then start to implement or act on our requirements. But like, I think there's a lot of work we can do before we even get to the requirement. Cause like we sometimes something I talk about a lot is we don't really know what we don't know. And sometimes we just need to experiment or play. So why not let the people doing their job right at their, to your point at their people who want to do it the best they can be, let them play. And that's going to inform requirements later. Um, so do you see a lot of activity or um, outside of Dragon's Lair, but like that, that support from the, either the PMs or the PEOs giving you resources to experiment and play? So from the PMs and the PEOs, uh, a lot of times they're focused on, you know, the delivery of the capabilities that mm -hmm. they've been directed to deliver. Um, but what we have found is through our integrations with uh, the, the CDIDs back in that early requirements phase, um, we've been doing what essentially amounts to continuous experimentation to develop these requirements. And okay. I'll, I'll stick to the FPV example uh, or just the small UAS robotics example in general. Um, in fiscal year 21, I think the uh, Army Futures Command had like 113 total soldier touch points for all of their programs. Uh, our small UAS developers and uh, experimenters in the core have probably had close to that many just in the last six to eight months uh, with the maneuver seated itself. So there's constantly TDYs, whether it's uh, the developers coming out. We had uh, personnel that are working on the new regulations for small UAS fly out and uh, sit down and talk to all of these end users and soldiers who've been experimenting in our maker spaces and out on our ranges, take feedback, write it down, and actually incorporate that into new regulation. And simultaneously, we've been flying soldiers out to uh, what's called the Maneuver Battle Lab at the Maneuver Seated. And out there, they're able to take these robotics out, break them without you know having to worry about being charged as a soldier for breaking something like that. Yeah. Um, see how they work in a tactical setting. And the frequency of that, the increased frequency of those interactions is what's really um, enabled by these tactical innovation cells out there is they're very, they're tied into the unit's training plan. So they can be like, is this going to affect the unit? They're tied into what the CDID's doing and they understand their, or the PEOs or whoever, what their schedule is. And they can very easily make these, uh, you know, small trips successful. One of the, I'm curious, because that sounds awesome, but also sounds like a lot of work on the soldier's part, right? So how, how are, from your seat, 
how are people balancing soldier has to do a job, but also we need soldiers to give us that feedback that you're talking about and to create this space for more goodness to come out of it, like in this experimentation environment. So I would say my job was made a little bit easier by an inspector general report from Army Forces Command, which found out that uh, at the platoon level and higher, um, everyone's really busy. Their, their time is so soaked up for the entire day. Right. Uh, filling out spreadsheets or whatever yeah. we do in the army. Uh, and then they looked at the uh, junior enlisted and they found that they spend about four hours a day just waiting to be told what to do. And that energy, you know, some of them want to go work out. Some of them want to spend time with their family. Some of them want to go invent something, make wanna their lives easier and be yeah. a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, sign up to be the next apex nerd. Um, and that's the energy that we really want to harness there uh, that's current as we see currently un untapped. So by having innovation managers at these tactical units, they can identify that, they can make sure that it does not have a negative effect on the unit and their training plans while getting the most out of uh, the energy that those, those soldiers have. What are you most excited about right now um, about your role and what you're doing? So one of the uh, biggest things that's coming up is we're working on creating an innovation officer skill identifier or for NCOs an additional skill identifier. Uh, what that's going to allow us to do is most of these uh, very bright and motivated um, innovation officers, whether they're at our maker spaces or they're at the uh, division level or the brigade level, everything that they've learned has been very self-taught. And to see a lieutenant stand up and explain, you know, what PEO is working on what and what PM is there and be able to immediately tie a soldier pro uh, problem statement to that correct portfolio and also walk them through the whole process, not only of navigating the Army's uh, or the DOD's innovation or modernization ecosystem, but also understand like the theoretical basis of innovation, whether that's design thinking methodology or you know value canvas or any of these uh, things that they'll teach in MBA programs um, is amazing to see them walk through this whole thing. But again, that's all been self-taught. So we're trying to work with uh, 75th Innovation Command, Defense Innovation Unit, Defense Acquisition University, uh, as well as other organizations across the Army to create a formal program to capture all that knowledge that they've been self-teaching. Mm. What else, or do you have any airing of grievances? Like what, uh, again, I'm not looking to knock anybody, but, you know, what could we do better from at, from your vantage point? So the Army and I guess the DOD as a whole is uh, very concerned about manning for very real reasons right now. And because of that, it's really easy to squash innovation efforts mm. and say, we don't need you to be tinkering. We need you to be training. We need you to be in to a be tank ready. Yeah. or uh, anything else like that. But what we'll find and I'm sure is about 80% of your operational effectiveness comes from probably 20% of, of your people out there. Uh, and that's the case <laughs> for almost anything. Any organization, um, yeah. If you allow that 20% or that 10% or that 1% to really reach their full capability, you're going to get outsized returns. And that's the basis of any investment is that, you know, maybe... I don't get you to 
be on gate guard this weekend, but maybe I get quadrupeds with electronic warfare sensors on them that can automatically communicate to a small UAS, which talks to your, you know, end user TAC device because a soldier took the time to make those pieces of equipment communicate. And then that saves five, 10, 20 lives down the, down the line. So innovation is an investment and it does require leaders to say, I am willing to give you a little bit of time and a little bit of attention and maybe sometimes a little bit of money because I think that you can have a bigger impact with your ideas and your inventions than you can with just your pure manual labor or time. I love that. The, 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 the support, there's a, a whole system that supports that individual. I love that. Thank you so much. Absolutely. You did awesome. Thanks for taking some time. For sure.